Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you today in the presence of the Lord, and hello to all of you who are with us worshiping from many different locations right now, uh, and to all of you as well who months ago booked a vacation for this weekend thinking you were escaping the warm weather, or the cold weather I mean in Oklahoma. I draw your attention to my short sleeve shirt today. Hmm. Enjoy your vacation. Um, I'm in Luke chapter 2. Today, and as you turn there in your Bibles, I want to also begin with a brief detour from Luke 2. So go to Luke 2, uh, but as you do, I'm going to read from Luke 1, 20, uh, 1, verse 26, 27, and 28. A detour, something about the Christmas narrative that I think we skip over um, very casually at times, and I just want us to focus on it briefly, and then we'll get to chapter 2. Uh, verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Bible tells us that Mary was greatly troubled by the arrival of this angel. And that was just the greeting. So imagine how much more greatly troubled when she gets the full story. You have found favor with God. You will be with child. You will deliver a son and you will name him Jesus. So Mary responds with a very profound forehead scratching question here. How will this be since I am a virgin? I want to begin my sermon today, but also just draw our attention in this Advent season to this miraculous part of the story and acknowledge the significance together of this miracle, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Luke's narrative, birth narrative especially, is the longest that we see in all the Gospels, probably because He was a physician, so he would have been incredibly intrigued by the fact that a virgin was with child. Medicine has, of course, come a long way, but it's not a recent discovery that virgins don't have babies. So Luke would have been very intrigued by this pregnancy. Donald McLeod, in his book, The Person of Christ, writes this, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it, which I think is what we do every Christmas season, which is why I'm opening my message on this. We must not hurry past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural and defies our rationalism. Blatantly supernatural and defies our rationalism. Now, in many theological institutions, the virgin birth has been a favorite target of attack uh, in academic debates, 
Could this really be that Jesus was born of a virgin? But I did find a survey this week that nearly one-third of all non-professing Christians still leave room for this miracle to take place in the Christmas narrative. In an odd way, I found myself a little encouraged that a third of non-professing Christians, professing non-Christians, left room for something that defies all rationalism. So why, why a virgin birth? I'd like to offer four possibilities. I'm sure there are many more. First, it highlights the supernatural. You know, as you look at the life of Jesus from his conception to the resurrection, to his ascension to heaven, the authenticity of the person and the nature of Jesus Christ is proven over and over again in what took place supernaturally. Second, it reveals that redemption must come from God and not solely from humanity. Yes, humanity played a role, played a part, but this redemption has to come from God. Third, It put God's initiative on display. Notice, the angel did not arrive and ask Mary, Mary, you have found favor with God. Here's what God would like to do. Are you willing? That question never came up. The angel actually said, Mary, you will conceive in your womb. It reminds me of a Mother Teresa quote that I heard many years ago where she said, Jesus has a right to use me however he wants without consulting with me first. It's a good reminder. This put God's initiative on display. And lastly, it hints at the nature of Jesus being both fully human and fully divine, as we read about in Philippians 2, which is another thing that is debated in academic circles. So it points to this fully human and fully divine divine nature of Jesus Christ. This extraordinary virgin birth of Jesus is a vital part of this Christmas narrative, and I just wanted to open up my message today to say don't skip over that too quickly and too casually. Linger in every single part of the Christmas story. The longer you walk with Jesus, of course, the more times you open the Gospels and read the Christmas narrative. Linger, stay for a while, pick something out that you've flown by for many years and focus on it and dwell on it and consider the amazing, powerful, miraculous work of God throughout this entire story. The virgin birth is worthy of our amazement today. But again, uh, that was just a brief detour. Now on to the text for today. Luke chapter 2, verses 18 through 14. 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. To be straightforward with you today, just like we can get caught up with a virgin who is pregnant with a baby, I also get caught up on this word in this Christmas narrative, peace. It's right there in verse 14b. Because I know that this Christmas story promises peace on earth, on on whose lives his favor rests. But when I look around, I actually see more trouble often than I do peace. I found an article stating that the world, global scale, has been entirely at peace only 8% of our recorded history. The entire world has been entirely at peace only 8% of our recorded history, meaning 92% of the time in our world's recorded history, nations have been at war with one another. On a smaller scale, cities are at war over things like masks and vaccines and politics and economics and sexuality and borders and racial violence. Families are at war. Rather than prayer and counseling and working towards forgiveness, we often see malice and anger and grudges. Children are at war. Constantly falling short of unrealistic expectations put on their lives by adults. Students are at war, ravished constantly by lies on social media and insecurities that stem from constant comparisons in their lives. Social media is at war. Social media is a war. Good, kind-hearted people sit behind the safety of a screen or a keyboard and they forfeit decency and basic respect and believers are at war because we gossip rather than reconcile. We assume and we judge rather than listen and love. But I ask you this question today, why are we so surprised Do you remember what Jesus promised his disciples? In this world, you will have trouble. So why are we so surprised to live in a world where we are surrounded by conflict, by trouble, by pain that we cause one another? Paul even said that he was hard-pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, and struck down but not destroyed. Trouble. So I think many of us would enjoy the kind of peace where uh, conflict is completely absent. But peace is not the absence of conflict. Instead, peace is the result of presence. And I want to talk today about three different presences in our lives where peace is absolutely guaranteed. I'm talking about a money back kind of guarantee. These three things, the glory of God the salvation of humanity, and the Holy Spirit. 
Where the glory of God, where salvation and where the Holy Spirit are present, peace is absolutely guaranteed regardless what kind of circumstances you may be walking through. Look with me again at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So let's look at all three of these individually. Number one, the glory of God. There are many professing Christians who do not treasure the glory of God, but they want his peace. I'll say that again. There are many professing Christians who do not treasure the glory of God in their lives. Oh, but they want God's peace, I can assure you. But the angels in Luke 2 got this right. It's not just peace on earth, that's great, but it is the glory of God. The two are inseparable. Married couples do not get married for a tax break, or at least you better not. In the same way, we don't love God just because of his benefits. Yes, there are countless benefits in our lives from loving God and having relationship with God, being a a follower of Jesus Christ, countless benefits. But we don't love God just because of his benefits in our lives. We love God because he's worthy to be loved by us. I'll illustrate this this way. Have you ever learned the song titled Big House? I don't support the theology behind these lyrics, no offense to audio adrenaline, but the chorus goes like this, come and go with me to my father's house, come and go with me to my father's house. You can say it with me if you know the word. You can even do the motions today, ready? It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football. I knew somebody would be faithful today. A big, big house. It's my father's. What are we talking about? This, this is my point. We love God for his benefits, but not because he's worthy of our love. Who cares about the house and the rooms and the table or whatever's in the buffet or the yard to play football, right? Feels a little too soon to bring up football, but <laughs> it's, it's about the father, Amen. I mean, we teach kids at a young age, come and go with me to my father's house. There's a lot of rooms. There's a pantry full of food. We can play sports. What about God? What about the father? I'll illustrate this another way. Let's pretend that you invited me over to your house for Thanksgiving and you served me a slice of pie. Which reaction would you appreciate hearing the most? Here's the first one. The pie was all right, but I've had better. 
Or what if I said, the pie was all right, thanks for having me over. Or what if I said, the pie was good, love the place, bye. Right? Something's missing. Because what you really want to hear is, you know, the pie was great, and I love your place, but what I enjoyed the most was spending time with you. It's not about the benefit. It's about the relationship. It starts with God. And yes, so many benefits follow. But it starts with glorifying God. A heart that is determined to glorify God. A heart that admires and treasures God. A heart that reveres his attributes, his love, his holiness, his majesty, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace. A heart that delights the most, a heart that delights the most when God is glorified is a heart that I promise you is a home of peace. So do we glorify God more than his benefits in our lives? Second is the salvation of humanity. At the end of verse 14, we read, on whom his favor rests. And this comes from the word that means good pleasure. Who does God find good pleasure in? His children, his sons, his daughters. Verse 14 is not about this outpouring of peace for those around us who look most deserving for that gift of peace. Peace is a guaranteed gift on those on whom his favor rests, those in whom he finds good pleasure. So, Christian, his peace is a guaranteed gift in your life. You are his child. He finds good pleasure in you. The unmerited grace of God is what this is all about, resulting in our salvation. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by believing we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through Christ. Reconciliation, peace, right? Romans 5.10. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, Romans 15.13. Peace on earth As we read about it in the Christmas narrative, it's not about a conflict-free life. Instead, peace on earth is the full reversal of our spiritual depravity brought upon us by our sin. That's what Jesus came to fulfill. This full reversal of your spiritual depravity and my spiritual depravity as a result of our sin. It is the restoration of all things And it will culminate in God and his church dwelling together forever. Thank you. Richard Thomas France summarizes it this way. Our sin has put hostility and wrath between us and God. And a mere ceasefire will never suffice. We are not meant to live under the cloud of an uneasy standoff with God. Based on self-righteousness. Or cheap grace. Instead, Jesus became incarnate, died, and rose so that believers might be adopted into God's own family and eat at the table with him in unbroken fellowship 
forever. That's the kind of big, big table with lots and lots of food that I want to hear about. So the glory of God, peace is present. The salvation of mankind, peace is present. Third is the Holy Spirit. Five times in the New Testament, God is referred to as the God of peace. The prophet Isaiah, we know, refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. But Paul refers to peace as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, not a fruit of self-effort. So there on your doorstep this Christmas season, right next to all of your Amazon boxes, if God's peace were to be delivered to your doorstep this Christmas season, it would be stamped with Father, Son, and Spirit. Not baby Jesus that came to restore peace on earth. Father, Son, and Spirit. When we glorify God in our lives, peace is guaranteed. When we remember our salvation through Christ, just as we did taking communion, peace is guaranteed. And when we yield to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, peace is guaranteed. But remember what Jesus said. I'm leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift that this world cannot give you. So do not be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of glorifying God. It's the presence of remembering our salvation. It's the presence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God was glorified when Christ was born. And we know that peace spreads everywhere where Christ is received. These seem to be the great purposes of the coming of Jesus Christ. Glory ever ascending from us to him. Peace ever descending from God to us. So, how better could we sum up this Christmas story than His glory, our peace? His greatness, our joy. His beauty, our delight. In response to God's word today, would you stand to your feet? Lift your voices and offer glory to the one whom glory is due today. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.